Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Justin Bradley. He's the Associate Head Coach at Dartmouth College. Coach, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks, David. How you doing? Doing well. Coach, you want to give yourself a, a brief introduction to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Justin Bradley. I'm the associate head coach at Dartmouth College in the Ivy League. Um, originally from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, so I know you have ties and, and roots there. Um, I've spent a couple years at, at different levels. Um, Williams College for two years. Um, I had a previous stint at Dartmouth as an assistant coach. And then my career started at North Carolina Central University working for um, Lavelle Moten. Okay, awesome. You know, you mentioned you grew up in the uh, Durham area, in Raleigh-Durham. You played at Ravenscroft. Did you overlap with Dom Parker while you were there? I did. I did. So Dom and I are really close. Um, he was a year ahead of me. Um, and obviously, we're, we still um, remain close friends to this day. I actually spoke with him earlier today. He said you guys spoke as well. So um, <laughs> Dom is a close friend of mine. Um, we're, we're both navigating this business together. And um, it's been nice to, to have a relationship beyond the court and into our professions. Now, he's told me his take on what kind of player he was coming out of high school and in college. What's your take, uh, you know, being his backcourt running mate? <laughs> yeah, so Dom was a – he was a volume scorer guy. So he loved to get shots up, and, and he was a really good shooter, really good player, um, in incredible shape. But he definitely wasn't afraid to, to get shots up, that's for sure. <laughs> You know, you guys won back-to-back undefeated regular season and conference championships. Uh, you guys were the North Carolina Independent School Athletic Association 3A runners-up in 2009. Who are some of the players you faced in high schools who might be Yeah, um, no, that's a great question, and you've done your homework. <laughs> um, so um, the league – um, North Carolina 3A private school was really good then. Um, Christ School was on their their big run, I think, of five straight state championships. So they had all of the Plumley brothers, all three of them, um, over my two years. So Miles, Mason, and Marshall Plumley. Um, they've also had um, a bunch of other guys. One guy went on to play at Harvard. Another guy played at South Carolina. Um, a couple of guys went to Elon, so they had seven or eight Division One players. They had a ton of size, and and that's who we ended up losing to in the 2009 state championship. Um, other than that, I think Charlotte Christian had Seth Curry, who's obviously doing a having an unbelievable career in the NBA with the 76ers, and it, it felt like every night we just played against you know some really good coaches and some really good players. What was your recruitment like coming out of Ravencroft? It was good. Um, you know, you've done your your research, so you know that our team was pretty loaded with talent, um, played with and graduated in the same class as Ryan Kelly. Um, so he's an All-American, one of my best friends. We had another, uh, you know, Ryan Kelly was the third shortest, I mean, the third tallest person on the roster, believe it or not. So we had another guy play at um, UNCW, um, who was a seven-footer, um, a freshman when we were all seniors, uh, Madison Jones, who ended up playing at Wake Forest and then doing a, a graduate year at um, Seton Hall. Um, and then also Luke Davis, who started at Garner-Webb, had a really good um, freshman year and then transferred to UNC Chapel Hill and, and, and had a great career there as well. So we had a ton of really good players on the team, a ton of talent. So I was able to play a role with those guys and, and you know, obviously was not recruited as highly as a, a guy like Ryan Kelly, but my recruitment was very Division three focused. Um, a lot of Ivy Leagues uh, reached out as well, took a few visits um, to the Ivy League and, and ultimately decided to go to Guilford College. What made Guilford the right fit for you? 
Yeah, Guilford was awesome because I think my visit, um, I had a really good visit. They had just, in terms of the basketball, I knew I wanted to go into another situation um, where they had success and they won some games and they were competing for championships. And we did that at Ravenscroft and I knew I didn't want to take a step back um, in college and Guilford had gone to a final four uh, the previous year, had a national player of the year. Um, and had a, a had a lot of guys returning um, that year, my freshman year. So um, it just seemed like a no-brainer for me um, academically, um, the culture of the campus, um, the guys on the team and the coaching staff. Um, I was sold. And it was an hour and a half from home and uh, my parents could come and visit and maybe bring me some food or, you know, come to games. And, and yeah, it was, it was a no-brainer. Who was on the coaching staff during your freshman year there? It was obviously Tom Palumbo, who's still the head coach there now. He was the um, athletic director at the time as well. Um, And a guy named Matt Park, who uh, ended up leaving after my freshman year to be the head coach at Averitt University. And then uh, Caleb Kimbrough, who's the head coach at Hampton Sydney now, um, came in once he left. Um, and then uh, Claude Shields was the, I think he was a volunteer assistant at the time, um, who's now the head coach at William Peace University in Raleigh. Talk about uh, Caleb and Claude as far as coaches who were pretty new to the coaching side of yeah. basketball during their time at Guilford. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that they did really well was to to bring a new energy into the program because coach Palumbo had been there for probably, you know, 12 to 15 years. Um, At that time, he had seen a lot of success, multiple final fours, um, two national players of the years, a ton of all conference guys. And um, so the program was established and both of those guys, um, sorry, Caleb specifically was really the, the cornerstone to get it going. Um, he was a good player. He had a good career um, and he just brought a new energy. He wanted to coach and he had spent a year at Washington and Lee. Um, and then he came back home and, and really revamped the program. And Claude with his experience at um, UNC Chapel Hill as a you know JV basketball player and also uh, um, helping out with the team and being around that type of program, he was able to bring some new ideas into the fold and um, they worked really well together, and you know, Coach Palumbo is is a great coach. So he he you know it was, it, the program was primed for success. What was your college basketball experience like? Yeah, it was it was unique because um, I went in I think with a, a lot of expectations um, of myself. Um, and I think a lot of freshmen, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're at Duke, if you're at Guilford College, if you're at, you know, name any other school in North Carolina, Campbell, you go in um, with big expectations. I had come from a, you know, really good high school program with a, you know, a former Division One college coach as the head coach. And um, then I quickly was humbled and realized, you know, things are different at the college level. The you know, the physicality, the schemes, the, the other players are equally as talented and the scouting is so much better. So um, I was humbled there and didn't play much um, that first year. And that was the year we were 30 and three, um, went to a final four. And then I um, had a career ending injury in my towards the end of my sophomore year, um, which didn't allow me to play anymore, which is when I transitioned to uh, student assistant coach. Now, was the injury sustained during the season or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, it was, it was sort of this nagging injury um, that everyone uh, kept saying it was stress fractures. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, shin splints. Um, and, you know, you can just ice them and rest them and stretch and you'll be fine. Um, later found out that it was stress fractures in my shins, uh, both shins. So um, I had I needed surgery, and I remember I, I went from hoping to start a game that night, which I worked really hard for, to 
being in two cast and not knowing the next time if ever I would play again. Wow, that's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you became you transitioned to be a, a student assistant. What were your roles and responsibilities and, and how did that opportunity come about? Did you pursue it or did uh, did Coach P uh, suggest that to you? Yeah, so that was um, that was all Coach Palumbo. You know, I don't think I, you know, I wasn't one of these guys that knew I wanted to be a coach since I was since the age of twelve or freshman year of high school. You know, it was something that really came on um, later in college. And you know, when I wasn't able to play, I loved the game. I loved being around it. I was always one of those guys that. You know, if I'm going to go get up a few shots, I'd bring a couple guys with me. I was always very vocal as a point guard and, you know, instructing guys. And, and you know, I thought I was a quick learner and um, an extension of the coaches on the floor. So I think he saw that and noticed that. And he said, Do you, would you like to still be involved? And I initially said no. And I, I gave it a few days because I think I'd been burned out and really upset by the injury said thanks but no thanks and gave it a few days and and returned and said coach I'd love to do what I can and help in any way that I can and, and here I am today. <laughs> so you graduated from GC in uh, 2013 degree in political science you know you mentioned that you wanted to get into basketball but did you ever consider getting into politics or did you just know that basketball was your calling? No I I wholeheartedly had intentions of going to law school um, and that's that's where the major came from um, I was really interested you know I think I entered college and was interested in business and you know economics and then um, I took a political science course and I really enjoyed it and was challenged and so I was able to take more courses ended up majoring in it um, also uh, double major in econ and and with intentions of going to law school and towards the end of my really senior year, spring of my senior year was when I fully committed to, to coaching and this is what I wanted to do. And now I need to find out how to navigate the business. During the time at Guilford, the team goes 81 and 31 during your four years, including the you know, division three final four appearance during your freshman year. What made the program so successful during that stretch? Number one, I think we have really talented players. Um, you know, Tyler Sanborn, who's the head coach at Ferrum um, in Virginia, in the ODAC as well. He was he was a senior when I was a freshman, and um, you know, having him at the Division three level was a difference maker. But we also had a bunch of other guys that, you know, we had guys that ended up having really good careers that were coming off the bench in seventh, eighth, ninth man those first two years. So I think we had talent. I think we had depth. And we just had a philosophy and a system for how we wanted to do things. Um, Coach Palumbo, he has a, a certain way he wants to do things defensively and offensively was – relatively simple, but defensively, we were really good. We were, you know, one of the top rebounding teams in the country. And um, there was a certain standard and expectation that was set long before any of us got there. Um, and we just, you know, did our best to, to carry it on. You know, you mentioned playing with Tyler Sanborn. What kind of player would he uh, to play alongside? Oh, he was awesome, Tyler. Uh <laughs> He was a phenomenal player, and I and I never got to see the the freshman sophomore year of Tyler, where he you know wasn't sure if it was something he wanted to do and wasn't in great shape, and you know they wanted him to you know diet and 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 work out a little bit more, and uh, so I didn't get to see that side. When I got there, he was ready to go, and he was an awesome player. I mean, he probably had twenty double doubles that senior year and he was named national player of the year after the season he ends up actually playing in the the NBA summer league with the Lakers um, which was awesome for him and um, yeah he was awesome he was he was very um, 
a team first guy, very hardworking. He made all the sprints and the times and the, you know, he came early, he stayed late and, you know, he was able to have a terrific senior year because of that. Uh, that's neat because uh, I know he's recruited our school a lot and we've gotten to know each other loosely, but, um, you know, obviously I knew when I went to Hype One, I knew of him and Ben Strong and, you know, everybody over there. So I know he was a hell of a player. And I think yeah, I'm probably his biggest stand as far as a coach. I think he's a phenomenal coach. He out yeah. every other coach when I've watched their games. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah he's um he's done a really nice job at Ferrum, which which typically hasn't had a lot of success but I know he's he's found a niche in who he wants to recruit and how he wants to recruit and it's a little bit different from all of the other schools in the ODAC and um, I'm glad he's doing well there no question how many schools did you reach out to as far as trying to become a graduate assistant at that process was a very lengthy one. I, I, I would at least a hundred. Um, I was, you know, all, the only thing that I knew and was to send out emails and search websites and, and, and I didn't know anyone, you know, coach Palumbo was a, he was a head coach at age 23, I think, or 24. So he had been, um, he kind of had the fast track to the business. And um, so he was like, this is what you do. And, you know, I sent out emails my entire spring of my senior year um, to any place in the country that I could hopefully get a master's degree and, and learn what it takes to be a coach. You know, ultimately you land at North Carolina Central, get your master's degree there, um, started off in a adobo role and then moved into graduate manager. How nervous were you being at a D1 program? And did you feel like your time at Guilford prepared you or was it kind of baptism by fire? It was a little bit of both. I think any time you transition jobs um, in this business, there's going to be a learning curve. Um, and especially me uh, being months out of undergrad <laughs> Um, I had no idea really what I was walking into. Um, luckily for me, I had known Lavelle Moten for a really long time. He actually coached me in middle school. So by the time I was in middle school to when I graduated college, he had become a division one head coach and a successful one at that. So they were just coming off a really um, good year. They didn't win the championship. Um, I think they were 22 and nine the year before I got there and had um, a lot of guys returning. So I knew it would be a situation where we would win games. It was a guys, it was a guy that I trusted. Um, I knew he was a, he was a terrific coach from him in middle school. And, um, you know, I thought it was, you know, being close to home, I thought it was a good place to, to get my feet wet um, in the business. And then fortunately, um, the staff was really strong as well. So not only was is Lavelle a great coach, but Brian Berg, who's now the head coach at Georgia Southern, he was an assistant coach. Um, John Mosley, who um, is a North Carolina guy as well. He's a Division II head coach in Missouri at Lincoln University in Missouri. And Michael Cotton, who had just come from, um, spent some time at Bucknell and Ryder University uh, they were the assistants. So they, you know, I was able to learn from all of them and, and, you know, watch coach Moten um, every single day and talk to him and sit in his office and um, a lot of baptism by fire. Um, but, you know, we went 28 and six that first year and went to the NCAA tournament. So it was all worth it in the end. You know, you talk about the success you guys had there. The team went 53 and 14, 31 and one in MEAC play, which is incredible during your time at Durham, and then, uh, you know, tournament appearance in 2014. I've asked other guests, but what was that selection Sunday like for you? Man, it was something I think about all the time. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm always in the thought and the hunt of trying to get that experience back because it so much went into that year and, you know, Coach Moten took over the program, I believe, in 2008, and they had been Division Two. So 
Division Two transition and 2013, 2014, we're going to the NCAA tournament. And not only did we make it, you know, we had a dominant year and it was a lot of fun. We won a lot of games. We set a lot of records. And, you know, that year we beat, um, I think, the in-state schools in the same week. We beat Campbell, NC State, and App State all in the same week, which was a huge deal for a place like North Carolina Central that, you know, we had arrived, we could compete. Um, obviously, people started to found, find out that Lavelle's a really good coach, and um, it was an amazing experience that Sunday, getting back from the conference tournament and going straight to the selection show party and and every, you know, all of the blood, sweat, and tears that go into a season to, to finally you know, get the recognition that the guys had earned. And it was, it was awesome. Now, did you live at home or, you know, I'm trying to figure out what the graduate <laughs> assistant you know, situation was. I know a lot of schools, it's pay your own way. Sometimes it's, you know, meal plan and housing included. Sometimes it's not. What was it like at Central? Yeah, so um, I changed the role because, um, it allowed me to get on the court. So as a director of ops, NCA legislation, um, you're not allowed to work out the guys. You're not, not allowed to technically be on the court during practice. So um, me changing my title, um, a lot of people ask, like, did I get a demotion? It was, no, I wanted it. Uh, I did all of the director of operations work, but I was also able to work guys out. I was able to help out in practice. I was able to do a little bit more film. Um, so my situation was uh, okay. You know, it was, they paid for my grad school, which was awesome. Um, and I was making a, a small stipend being an in-state guy. I was able to get um, a little bit of money that allowed me to live in an apartment and it wasn't a nice one. It was, <laughs> you know, somewhere that I would show up uh, to at, 10, 10 o'clock at night and sleep with one eye open and, <laughs> get, and get up early the next day and, and head back into the gym. So, um, yeah, no, no meal plan. Um, really uh, thankful that they paid for the, the schooling because that was important to me. Um, but other, outside of that, I wasn't making a lot of money. Was there an opportunity for you to stay on staff after your master's degree was completed, or did you know that you were going to need to find a job in 2016? Yeah, there was an opportunity. Um, you know, I, I think I did a, a, a decent job, and Lavelle would have loved to, you know, keep someone that he's known for a long time around and someone that knew how he wanted to do things, someone that he knew he could trust and, um, you know, we had a lot of success. So anytime you, you know, what comes with success is people get other jobs and opportunities and um, that happened. And I knew I wanted to be an assistant coach and that's really hard to do, especially at the division one level. So when an opportunity came at Dartmouth the first time, um, I, I took it and ran with it. And, you know, that required me, you know, packing up my pathfinder at the time and, and driving up to New Hampshire from North Carolina and and then again baptism by fire learn to be a division one assistant talk about that first season with the big green yeah the season was was great for me it allowed me to to really learn and and be in a program that was in a completely different place than what I had just experienced we were you know, we won a lot of games. The culture um, was set, you know, as Lavelle always says, you know, the standard is the standard. There were things that was, you know, were just rolling when I got there and I just had to fall in line and, you know, keep it going. So when I got to Dartmouth, it was um, a different experience in that, you know, we were learning, um, you know, who we could recruit and the tweaking the culture and making sure, that we were able to compete um, at a certain level. And, you know, I was on top of the world. I was, I think I was 24 at the time and, and a division one assistant. And I know people work for that for many, many years and in a, in a league like the Ivy league. And, and um, you know, nine months later, the staff gets let go. So it, you know, I was on cloud nine and then nine months later, as this business will, tends to do is humble people and I was humbled and 
um, I had to find my way. You know, you landed at Williams College. You spent a couple of years there, and you guys advanced to the NCAA Division Three Final Four in 2017, uh, and finished both the 2016 and 2017 seasons ranked fifth in the country. Talk about how difficult it was. You know, that's a program that has a lot of history. Talk about how kind of, you know, like Coach Moten says, you know, the standard is the standard. How difficult is it to recruit and coach at that level? Uh, did you feel any pressure? It was um, an awesome experience for me, and I'm glad I did it. And I think w- when I decided to do it, um, it was against the advice of a lot of people. Um, a lot of people, you know, will tell you that it's very difficult to get any Division One uh, opportunity, and when you have it, you need to stay at that level as long as you can because um, the jobs people want the jobs, and they're not. <laughs> enough to go around for everyone. So, you know, I got a lot of advice from people saying, stay division one. It doesn't matter the role, um, just stay in division one. And um, when the opportunity at Williams came, you know, funny enough, that freshman year at at Guilford, um, we played Williams in the final four. So I had been very familiar with the program, um, the success, the tradition, um, the school, um, it was something that I had to seriously consider. And throughout the process, the head coach there, Kevin App, who you know I talk to weekly till this day, is he was very understanding of my situation and, and kind of my goals. And he made it clear in the beginning that he, I, I was the guy that he wanted. And he said, I'd wait. If, like, I'd wait for a week. I'd wait a month. But you're the guy that I want. So just let me know. And that spoke to me and told me that, you know, he identified me and that he was going to take care of me. And being part of a, sorry, being a part of a program like Williams was um, unbelievable because, again, history, tradition, talented players. It's an unbelievable school. It's, you know, it's much harder to get into Williams College than it is to get into most of the Ivy League. So we were recruiting unbelievable students, really good players, winning a bunch of games winning championships. The culture was really, really good. And um, I was working for a guy that uh, just really empowered me to to be a better coach and gave me a lot of responsibility. So um, I love my time at Williams. That's awesome, Coach. You know, I know you guys didn't overlap, but how deep is it for Duncan Robinson to have the success in Michigan and then the NBA um, after starting his career at Williams? It was amazing because on my interview, uh, I think Duncan was a year or two. um, He had already been gone for maybe a year and a half at that point. But everyone in the town, uh, the town is crazed with basketball fans and people that come to games and support the program. So um, I heard his name all the time. And people don't realize that. Yes, he had a great freshman year, and yes, he's obviously taken it to greater heights than anyone could have ever thought, but he was probably the third best player on that Williams team, um, and they lost in the national championship. They had a you know, a national player of the year who wasn't Duncan Robinson. They had another um, All-American on the team that wasn't him, and so they had really talented players, and Duncan just came in and um, really surprised a lot of people with how well he picked up the game um, so quickly and was able to contribute as a freshman. But, you know, he's he's someone that it's it's been really cool to follow to know we have a similar story and background and um, being, spent some time at Williams. You know, after two years at Williams, you returned to Dartmouth uh, prior to the 2019-2020 season and then added the recruiting coordinator to your title. How different was it than your first stint at Dartmouth? Yeah, it was very different. It was, uh, it was a new staff, um, so just a, a more energized and new ideas. And I thought um, from talking, you know, it wasn't easy for me to leave Williams. It was, you know, something that I really, really thought long and hard about. 
um, because it was such a great place. And um, we, I loved the guys there. They were, they worked hard. They were good players. They were good students. They were fun to be around. And, you know, anytime you work for a good boss, that's so valuable in this business. Um, so it wasn't just a no brainer for me to pack my bags and go. So I had to, um, I took a long time to think about um, coming back to Dartmouth and um, ultimately decided to do that. And um, again, I knew I was more prepared than the first time. I knew I would be able to hit the ground running um, because a lot of the players that we recruited uh, were borderline, um, if not Ivy players at Williams, Ivy League level players. So I knew the landscape. I knew the school. I knew um, the direction that we were headed. And um, yeah, it's just been a, a really good experience this time around. Even with the large endowments, I'm sure you guys are required to bring in a certain amount of money from guarantee games. How tough is it to have a strong non-conference season and build confidence for the Ivy League play? Yeah, I think it's very scheduling. Um, any any college coach will tell you that recruiting and scheduling or go one and two as some of the most important things for your program um, success. Um, so number one, I think, you know, getting really good players that allows you to compete um, against anyone. And a lot of people don't know this, but the Ivy League is typically ranked in the, the 12 to 15 range of top conferences in the country. So there's 32 division one conferences and the Ivy League has been hovering around 12 to uh, anywhere between 12 and 15. So you need some really good players to compete at the level um, at which our league has competed over the last four or five years. Um, and being at a place like Dartmouth where, you know, we don't have to play, you know, you know, I was at North Carolina Central. We had to play six guarantee games. You know, we have to play maybe two at Dartmouth, but, you know, we always want to challenge our guys. Um, we always want to get to places where, you know, they're from so their family can see them play and get back to their hometowns. And um, the league is really, really difficult. And the way the schedule has been was Friday, Saturday. So I know a lot of colleges experienced that this year, but that's been the Ivy League schedule forever. So you're playing two really good teams on Friday and Saturday and you're traveling in between and you're getting to the hotel at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. You have to be ready to go the next day against another well-coached and talented team. So, you know, it's important to challenge yourself in the non-conference. You've been promoted to the associate head coach. How much did that promotion mean to you? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it was, an amazing promotion to, to think about seven years ago, you know, occasionally sleeping in a locker room and, you know, sleeping in my apartment that, you know, I'll never go back to. And, um, you know, doing a lot of things that I had to do to get by and to, to, to kind of rise up the ranks as I have and to, you know, to be, there's a lot of good coaches out there, but a lot don't get the recognition that they deserve, um, whether it's monetarily, whether it's by title, whether it's even just any opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of great high school coaches that want to break into college and they just simply don't get the opportunity. So um, any of these promotions um, and by title, um, that I've gotten over the years, I've been very thankful for, and I don't take it lightly. Ultimately, what are your uh, career aspirations as a coach? Would you like to be a head coach one day? If so, what would the right situation look like? I know that you have a good situation while you're at. Yeah, I think, you know, I think everyone gets into the business and says that they they want to be a head coach. And for me, you know, I would take it a step further. I want to be a successful head coach and wherever that is, you know, I'm open to, to a lot of opportunities and, you know, it doesn't have to be in the academic uh, world. You know, I've worked at North Carolina central, which was largely Juco and transfer recruitment uh, with not very many resources. And I've worked in the Ivy league, which is, you know, we have some of the best student athletes that you'll find anywhere and, and plenty of resources. So, you know, I think 
you know, being versatile and having different experiences and different type of places and different levels and, um, you know, being able to, you know, navigate coaching and recruiting in the Southeast, but also, um, you know, making my mark in New England and, and various parts of the country. So it would have to be a situation where I feel really, really strongly about and a situation where um, they've either had success or um, I think it's a place where you can win. So I'm not exactly sure of specific schools or places, but um, I think it's a, a, it's a situation where you, you know, after speaking with the athletic director or the president or, you know, visiting campus, it, you'll know pretty quickly if it's the right place. No doubt. You know, what's your favorite recruiting story that you have? I'm sure over the years you've had crazy experiences. What's the one that comes to mind? <laughs> uh, when I first got to uh, Dartmouth, my first uh, recruiting trip was, so I, I think I got the job on Tuesday and on Friday, I get sent to Canada. Um, so Montreal, Canada, which is a two hour drive north from Dartmouth. Um, so it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a crazy trip by any means um, in the recruiting world. Um, but at this particular time, you know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know I needed to have an international plan to use my phone. I didn't know um, I need, you know, I don't think I had a GPS at the time, whatever phone I had and um, not that long ago, but I remember printing out directions, MapQuest and taking it. I was only going for a day and coming back and, and just going two hours North, get into Canada. I don't have a cell phone anymore. I don't know where I'm going. The directions were all in French. If you don't know anything about Montreal, it's basically you're in France um, once you cross the border. Um, and, and I just couldn't get to my hotel. I couldn't get to the gym because there was like traffic. I mean, there was traffic, there was construction. I couldn't read any of the signs. Um, so I end up not making it to the gym. Um, and just had to come back into the, uh, the across the border, use my phone, and then went back. So I drove about six hours in a day for should have been a two hour trip um, just to watch uh, a few kids play. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> you know, if your resume wasn't impressive enough, your name to the Under Armour 30 Under 30, how did it feel to be recognized by your peers in the NABC? And, and how did you find out? I found out, um, well, the first part of that, it felt, again, it felt great. Like there's, again, there's so many coaches that could have been and should have been and, and have been on the list after that and before me. And um, it was very surprising because to this day, I have no idea how, how I was recognized. I got an email saying, congratulations, you were um, NABC 30 under 30 and I you know thought it was a spam email um, and I opened it up and, and yeah it was the NABC official letterhead and um, and I saw the list and the other person on that list was Don Parker uh, when he was at Christopher Newport so it was really really cool um, experience for both of us to to be on the list at the same time the same year and um, a high school teammate, a good friend of mine. And um, yeah, any recognition is, is, is always um, very humbling. You're the co-founder and CFO of Unity Basketball. Do you want to tell the listeners about it and how you got it started? Yeah, so back in college, um, just started learning about um, different areas of the country that, um, you know, uh, had struggled with different things. So substance abuse, literacy, um, drug addiction. And um, there was a guy uh, at Guilford College that um, he was a Native American and from a reservation in Montana. So uh, we were looking at ways to, to sort of combine basketball with, you know, community service with, you know, learning about his reservation um, allowed us to put it all together and, and we created Unity Hoops and uh, we went out there uh, for three summers and, and really had a fully funded 
a camp for hundreds of kids that um, we, we did life skills, we did, um, you know, college education, um, uh, we, we did basketball, it was a traditional basketball camp where we would do like nine to three every day and then um, hang out with all of the kids afterwards. So it was a really uh, great experience for all of the counselors and the people that started it. And um, it's something that I wish with the recruiting calendar, I was able to still continue to do. How did you grow as a coach during this 2020-2021 season, uh, you know, which the Ivy League uh, opted not to participate in? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so I think when the announcement was made, um, and it wasn't made until November, so we had up until that point, we had prepared to have a season. Um, we were working out, we were practicing, and you know, we didn't know any information prior to when our guys found out. Um, so all full steam ahead and um, we got the announcement and then everything really changed for the guys. So the first thing, um, you know, just making sure the guys were okay and, and understood what it meant. And um, that was a big thing. And we spent a lot of time as a staff on that. And then the next thing um, we did was basically make plans for how we were going to use the time because our guys were going to leave for about six weeks uh, from Thanksgiving until about January 10th. Um, and, you know, we weren't just going to sit in the office and watch everyone else play. We had to make a plan to, to, to get better and to, you know, something we always ask of our players is to, you know, you guys need to come back better than when you left. So whether that's over the summer, whether that's over a two-week fall break, to come back in better shape, a better shooter, a better ball handler than when you left here. So I take that same mentality as a coach. I want to become a better coach at the end of the season, even without a season. So what I was able to do was um, spend a lot of time in December going to practices. Um, I flew uh, – sorry, I didn't fly. I drove from New Hampshire – down to the Carolinas and basically um, reached out to every um, coaching contact that I had and asked if I could come to practice. And luckily, um, Takeo Siddle at UNCW, um, Earl Grant at College of Charleston, um, Furman, uh, Bob Ritchie, uh, Mike Young at Virginia Tech. There were so many guys, uh, Brian Berg at Georgia Southern, Lavelle Moten, all these guys had opened their doors to me in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and yes, I had to sit in the rafters while watching practice and, um, you know, observing the team, but I was able to stay engaged, able to learn, able to stay sharp. And um, that's something that I did that was really, really helpful for me. Yeah, I did the same thing during my year out of coaching and, I'm glad you didn't name a few schools that I had tried to go watch practice. Oh, we're about to have a problem. You got, you got in and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I was really persistent, and you know, just anyone that would let me in, I was willing to make the drive. Um, I wasn't going to hop on a plane, but I'd get in the car and go anywhere. That's awesome. Hey, Coach, we've come to the segment I call start bench cut. I give you three: start one, bench one, and cut one. Okay. Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Oh, you're starting Nike, benching Adidas, cutting Under Armour. Easy. Okay. Jordan, LeBron, Kobe. Uh, starting Kobe, benching Jordan, cutting LeBron. You know, I'm not sure you're going to be allowed back in the state of North Carolina, uh, an answer, but uh, okay, we'll go with it. Uh, little baby, Fetty Wap, the baby. Oh man, that's another easy one. I'm going little baby first, Fetty, and the baby. So I know again, North Carolina roots. Um, we played the University of Buffalo, and the baby was. He had just performed at the University of Buffalo the same night, and we beat them. And so we were on cloud nine, and he was walking through the hotel lobby, 
and we tried to like me and two other That's assistants we were like hey it's the baby can we take a picture he said no <laughs> and <laughs> and since then he, he he's he's been on my, down on my list <laughs> that's too funny uh hoosers blue chips he got game uh he got game blue chips and hoosers there okay last but not least everybody's favorite question Hoop dirt, verbal commits, NCAA transfer portal. <laughs> I'm going verbal commits, start, um, transfer portal, bench, <laughs> cut, hoop dirt. Okay. Coach, who are three guests I should have on the podcast? There's so many. I mean, I, one of the things that I really like about uh, what you've done is to get so many uh, people from different levels, high school coaches, AU, co- uh, you know, division three head coaches, you've gotten, you know, you had Ronnie Hamilton on here, high major assistant coach. So I think you, you're on the right track with, you know, being engaging and get, and giving guys um, love from different levels and not just sticking with a certain group of people. But um, I would think one of the guys that I'm really close with is, uh, Anthony Goins, who's at Clemson, um, they're in the tournament right now. He's, you know, he's one of the probably the youngest assistant in the ACC, um, and has done a really good job um, there for them and all the places that he's been. Um, the next person would be Adam Hood. Um, he's at UT San Antonio, um, and he's a really smart analytics coach. Um, and then the third person would be. Uh, probably Patrick Wallace. Um, I don't know if you know Patrick, but he's a he's a video coordinator at Loyola Chicago. But um, he played one year at NC State and then uh, transferred to Charleston Southern because um, he was a walk on at NC State. And um, he's been in some really great places working as a coach, and he has North Carolina ties. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're, we're in the, what they would say negotiations. So we're basically waiting for and hopefully. <laughs> Uh, in the national championship, but yeah, no, yeah, I was going to be <laughs> awesome. great. Yeah. Coach, what's kind of your elevator pitch? What What's your best piece of advice for young coaches trying to either get in the business or work their way up and navigate through it? Yeah, just to be, the first part is just to be open-minded. Um, just, you know, when I, you asked how many places I applied to, uh, it was, it was a hundred and that wasn't a hundred places in North, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. That was, you know, I remember applying to places in Iowa and, and, you know, South Dakota and just being willing to, to travel if you can. Um, obviously I know there are a lot of things that go into that, but if you're willing to, you know, expand and your mind and and who you are and where you've been that's that's one thing that i would highly recommend and then as far as moving up the business and and being valuable and making yourself um valuable to any staff is is just to be versatile so you you know this business always tries to put people in boxes and labels and, 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 Hey, you're this guy, you're the offense guy, you're the defense guy, you're the recruiter, you're the, you know, Juco guy, you're the, you know, me, I'm the academic guy. Like that's what this business does for a lot of people, but just try to, you know, make yourself as versatile as possible, whether, you know, you need to wipe the floors, you need to know all the video programs, you need to work on Photoshop, you need to be able to recruit, you need to be able to, you know, get along with the players. You need to have, even if your coach assigns you a certain part of the program, like, hey, I need you to be the defensive coordinator. You need to meet with the offensive coordinator and and give him some ideas and, and things like that. So, you know, just always try to bring value by bringing new and innovative ideas. Um, We'll keep you around this business really long. I really like that coach. You know, I, I had one more question I wanted to ask. Today there was two head coaches named uh, at Penn State, one at Albany. Uh, both of them are black. Do you think we're making progress, a step in the right direction with um, you know, having diversity at the head coaching level of Division One? 
Oh man, David, this is a is this the last yeah, question? The last one. This is <laughs> this could have been the whole podcast. Um yeah, so I think a few things you touched on um really um spoke to me. You asked about, you know, what does it mean to be an associate head coach and um you know and that's one of the things that really comes to mind is, you know, I don't know how many, you know, black associate head coaches there are out there. And that, that doesn't mean they, there aren't coaches that are deserving or uh, there's just not very many. So I don't take mine, my title very lightly at all. And, you know, I'll do whatever I can to, to pave the way for anyone, uh, black coaches, white coaches, Asian coaches, that doesn't matter. Just, just, but, um, you know, I'm more than willing to help anyone out. Um, if anyone reaches out to me and then, yeah, it's, it's, I think you'll notice in the coaching industry that it's always, it always comes in waves. So this year, great. We'll have eight black coaches hired and then next year we'll have two. And then the next year we'll have four and then we'll have zero the next year. So if you look throughout history, it always goes from, wow, this was a really great year, progress, and then the next cycle, it may go back down to zero. So I think we're making progress with, you know, these two particular hires today, um, Earl Grant at Boston College and, and Michael Shrewsbury at Penn State. That means a lot because those are high major jobs. So you know, they're not black coaches getting MEAC jobs, which that's not anything against the MEAC. That's just, that's the highest level of basketball and very visible positions, um, very good opportunities for both of those guys. And, um, you know, it's their duty to do a good job and to hopefully, you know, bring some other guys along with them. Because as you know, those staffs at those schools, they've got 20 guys on them. So, um, they, they were going to need to fill them and hopefully there's some diversity on there. And, um, I think it's, it's really, really positive and, um, you know, and I also hope that they get the time that they deserve and Absolutely. You know, they, they can't, it can't be a, a two-year deal or a three-year deal. Like the, these are jobs that are, are coming out of, um, really difficult situations and give these guys time to build it and build it right. And, hopefully sustain winning well said coach you know if listeners want to get in touch with you emails social media what have you what's the best way yeah anyway i'm 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 always going to respond so um, my email is is coach bradley the letter j at gmail.com that's my personal email so um, reach out to me I'll, i'll definitely respond and um, social media, um, Twitter is a great way because I'm always going to see the notification. Um, Coach J. Brad, um, and that's my handle. And and if there's any other ways that you can find me, um, please do it. And and I'd love to talk to anyone. Coach, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. You know, I followed your career loosely, and you know, just really impressive resume. And I know that uh, you're going to continue to do great things in the Ivy. No, David, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really fortunate to be here. You got some amazing speakers. I didn't finish the Tony Shaver one yet, but I'm halfway through. And, you know, I listened to my guy, Brian Skildson. I listened to Ronnie uh, at Ole Miss. And um, I listened to your the coach at WT Woodson. So I'm honored to be on here. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.